Hey, welcome to First Baptist Church Online. My name is Steve Polk, and it's an honor to welcome you to our online broadcast today. Uh, as we continue preaching through our reading plan, and hopefully you're joining, uh, joining us in our daily reading plan along with the video devotions that we uh, send out every day, uh, five days a week, we are excited about where we are right now in Psalms 27. Today we're going to talk about something really interesting. You know that people have wants. Saved people have wants. People who don't know the Lord have wants. People of all backgrounds have wants. Humanity has wants. And some of those are consistent. But there's one area where those wants change and can, can really be very different than what we see in the world. And that is what a believer should want. So today in Psalm 27, our pastor is going to take us on a journey to look at what believers, what followers of Christ want out of that relationship. So go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word notepad and a pen and get ready to take some notes as we think about and apply to our own lives what it is that a believer wants. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word that continues to challenge us, to grow us, uh, to educate us on, uh, on the life of following Christ. Today we talk about uh, what believers want. and Maybe we say what we should want, but what we want out of our relationship with you. So today enlighten us to something that we need today that we can put in practice right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Most kids are not shy when it comes to letting you know what they want for Christmas or their birthday. I remember when I was a young kid back in the 1960s, I actually wanted a guitar. And uh, we lived in the country, so there, I didn't know of any stores where we could buy one. I ordered my first guitar from Montgomery Ward, the old catalog that people used to order things from. And I remember I was at the post office in the little crossroads about a mile from our house, and my guitar came. It was in a rectangular uh, cardboard box, and I was so excited. I can still remember as a little boy carrying that box with my guitar out of the post office and, and walking one mile with it under my arm back uh, to the house. Kids can get so excited when you give them something they want. But the truth is, all of us, no matter our age, have things in life we want. A couple of years ago, I uh, bought for myself for Father's Day one year my pit barrel uh, smoker, pit barrel cooker, and I really enjoyed it. But ever since I bought, bought that, my uh, son-in-law, Evan, has wanted one. And, and so just recently, he bought his. And, and, and he was so excited that he, when he got it set up that first day, when he cooked on it, he fixed two racks of ribs and he smoked a chicken. And uh, they turned out pretty good. Like I, like I say, all of us, all of us, whether we're kids or young adults, senior adults, whether we're married, single, whatever our situation in life, all of us have things that we want. But here's the question I want to ask you. What do you want when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ? What do you want when it comes to your spiritual life, to your walk as a follower of Jesus, your way of living as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's another question. Are there things that are that are different, which we as disciples, as followers of Jesus, are there things that we want as his children that are different than what the average person in our culture wants? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. There are certain things that those of us who love the Lord, follow the Lord, 
live for the Lord, serve the Lord, know the Lord Jesus Christ. There are just some things we really, really want. And listen, whether or not you want these things we're going to talk about this morning sheds light on the depth and the quality of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms, chapter 27. We are still reading the book of Psalms in our Bible reading plan here at First Baptist and in our D groups. And so one of the chapters we read this past week is chapter 27. It was written by King David, and it sheds light on some things that were on his heart that he was passionate about, things that he wanted when it came to his relationship with God. And I believe they are, these are these are things that, that we want. All of us who love the Lord want these things. Not only do we want them, we need them. And so here's the first thing from Psalm 27 that, that David helps us understand that all of us who are followers of Jesus want in our lives. And it's this, number one, Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ want to live every day in the presence of God. We want to live every day in the presence of God. Now, it is true. We know this from Scripture that God is everywhere and you are never out of his presence. But we are not always conscious of his presence. We are not always aware of his presence in our lives. And David had this very deep hunger to live every day as though he and God were standing side by side. And he expressed that desire in Psalm 27 in a couple of different ways. And I think these two ways that he expressed his desire to be in the presence of God, I think these will be present in our lives. Because if you really want to, to live daily, in, in conscious presence, and in, in the awareness of God's presence in your life, then these things are going to be true of you. The first one that helps us live in the presence of God is we show up, we show up when it's time to worship God at his house with his people. Look at what David said in Psalm 27, starting at verse 4. He said, one thing I have asked or desired from the Lord and that shall I seek, that I may dwell, notice this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Verse 5, for in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent he will hide me, he will lift me up on a rock, and then here he says it very clearly in verse 6, now, my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Look at verse 4 again. One thing I have desired, one thing I have asked from the Lord, that shall I seek. This is what I'm going to chase after, if you will, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David had this obsessive longing, you might say, to be in the presence of God. And one way he expressed that was this longing to be in the house of God with the people of God, worshiping God at the appointed time. Now, David was not going to some fancy building. 
Solomon's temple had not yet been constructed. When David was going to the house of God to worship God, he was going to a tent. He was going to a tent, and yet he wanted to be there. There there is something special about gathering with people who love God and worship him and you worshiping him with them here on earth that, that, that reminds us of heaven, that has some kind of connection to heaven. You'll remember this same David is the one who wrote Psalm 23, which we often read during funerals. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then that psalm ends by saying, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There he's talking about heaven. But here in Psalm 27 and verse 4, he's talking about earth. Just as he knew that he was going to spend eternity with God in heaven and he longed for that, David during his life on earth wanted to be in the house of God so he could encounter the presence of God in a unique and special way. There are just some things that happen when you gather to worship God in public with his people on his day in his place that is similar to what happens in heaven. It resembles a heaven. Last Sunday, I preached from Psalm 26 and verse 8 in that psalm says, O Lord, and this is another thing David wrote. He said, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. The author of Psalm 84 verse 10 said this, For a day in your courts, listen, a day in your courts is better than a thousand on the outside. And then he added, I would rather stand at the threshold, at the door, if you will, at the entrance to the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Those two verses along with the ones we're reading here in Psalm 27 say that those who love the Lord, who follow Jesus, who are his disciples and his people have this hunger to be in the house of God with the people of God worshiping the Lord. And it's one of the things they do so they can remain a acutely aware and in touch with the presence of God every day in their life. Let me ask you, how do you feel about Sundays? How do you feel about the house of God? How do you feel about public worship services on the Lord's day with the Lord's people? That says a lot about the condition of your relationship with God. Just how strongly do you desire to be in God's place with his people worshiping him on the Lord's day? Now, for David, as I said a moment ago, he wasn't going to some fancy temple. He was going to a tent. And so it was not the beauty of the building that, that was motivating him that he wanted uh, those those things are, are, are wonderful, and, and architecture and art can inspire and touch the heart, but that's not what David was really, really focused on. It wasn't the music. Music can be inspiring. Music can be uplifting, but that was not his focus. It wasn't a sermon or a teaching or a lesson, and those are valuable, and they help us connect with God, but that was not his focus. Do you know what he was focused on? Look at verse 4 again. He says, I've asked that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? At the end of verse 4, to behold the beauty of the Lord. He wanted to see God's beauty, God's splendor. God's glory, 
God's majesty. That's what drove him to want to be in God's house, worshiping with the people of God every Lord's day. He wanted to sense, if you will, the presence of God. He wanted to feel the presence of God. He wanted to hear the voice of God in his life. And I got to tell you, there's something unique when you gather with God's people to sing praises to, to him, whether you're singing hymns written 200 years ago or modern worship songs written two years ago. There's just something about all the people who love the Lord coming together and lifting their voices in unison to praise him. There's something about bowing our heads and humbling our hearts and praying together approaching the throne of heaven. There's just something about seeing God and his Holy Spirit move in the hearts and lives of men and women as they make their way to the altar and bend the knee and bow the head and pour out their hearts and lives to God. There's just something about that. And it's akin, it is akin, if you will, to what heaven is like. And I've had beautiful moments of reading the Bible by myself at home. I've had moments walking in the woods or being on the lake, sensing the presence of God. But I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, from my own experience and the authority of God's inerrant word, there is nothing, nothing, nothing on earth like being in the presence of God with the people of God as we worship him and he speaks to us and moves among us. He said, I have this hunger to encounter the presence of God by going to the place of worship with his people so I can encounter him and I want to see his beauty. Every time I do that, he says, I, I see his beauty. But he says, I have a part to play in that. I have a part to play in that because at the end of verse 4, he says, I also do that so that I can meditate in his temple, in his palace, in his place because wherever God is, it's a royal place. David wanted to show up and not just see, not just listen. He wanted to participate. He wanted to meditate, meaning that he engaged his mind as well as his heart. He reflected on what he was singing and what he was seeing and what he was hearing. He was engaged. He was involved. He was participating. And David, it's interesting to me that in Psalm 27 in verses 2 and 3, before he talks in verses 4 and following about showing up at the house of God, he talks about his enemies, his adversaries. He talked about the wars that as the king, he had to lead his people in battle, fighting. And then he talks about, I want to be in the house of God. You see, David had his problems. He had his challenges in life, but he did not allow them to keep him away from the house of God at the time of worship. He did not allow all his problems and all of his challenges to distract him from the presence of God and from worshiping God. He did not allow all those challenges and problems to become an excuse to keep him away from the house of God and the people of God. In fact, he tells us that showing up to worship God with his people actually helped him helped him deal with all his problems. In verse 3, he said, In the day of trouble, God will help 
me. And he sandwiched that in between verses four and six where he talks about worshiping, worshiping, because he understood that worship helped him deal with enemies. Worship helped him deal with war. Worship helped him deal with problems and challenges in life. And when you allow the hard times in your life to distract you, to become an excuse for you, and to keep you away, you actually weaken yourself spiritually and rob yourself of what God could do to help you deal with those challenges better. Because when you consistently see the beauty and the splendor and the glory and the majesty of Almighty God, it helps you get through everything you face in life. And so David said, God's presence matters to me. And to make sure that I stay in touch with my God and his presence, I show up and worship. I remember in the 1970s and the 1980s when I was a young preacher and pastor, it was not unusual for church members who were on vacations vacations to make certain they got back home on Saturday so they could be in church on Sunday. There was a time when a lot of Sunday school teachers would take their vacations, but they always came back on Saturday so they could teach their class on Sunday. And maybe, just maybe, they were a little too legalistic with that, perhaps. But can I honestly say to you that today we are far too careless when it comes to missing the the worship of God on the Lord's Day with His people. We're far too careless too easily distracted, too easily make excuses, too easily find reasons to not get back so we can be with the people of God on his day. Before pastoring in Rock Hill, I served a church in Sumter, South Carolina, and we had an elderly, sweet saint of God. We called her Miss Jean. Her family, when her kids were younger, they, uh, they owned a place on the lake near Sumter, and most weekends they would go there. But Miss Jean, on Sunday mornings, and even while I was her pastor and later in life with her husband, they would go to the lake. Early on Sunday mornings, Miss Jean would get up and drive back to our church and teach her children's Sunday school class and then return to the lake to spend the rest of the afternoon with her family. And our careless approach to faith, our careless approach to worship today Many of us would never think of doing anything like that. Many of us would not even think about getting up on Sunday where we're on vacation and going to church. And yet David said, the presence of God is so important to me. I have this passion for being in the house of God when it's time to worship him with the people of God. What about you? How do you feel about being at church on the Lord's day? What do you want? David His desire for the presence of God was was seen not just in his showing up at the time of worship in the house of God, but there was something else that he was very intentional about and that we need to be. We want to be intentional about if we love the Lord and follow him and are his disciples. And it's this, not only do we show up when it's time to worship, we are intentional about seeking the face of God. We are intentional about seeking the face of God. Look with me in Psalm 27, please, at verses 7 and 8. He says this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. God, when I call out to you, hear me. Be gracious to me and answer me. Then verse 8, when you said, seek my face. God, when you invited me to seek you, when you said, when God, when you said to, to me and to everyone else, seek my face, David's response 
David's response in his heart was, Your face, O Lord. Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. God has given you and me the privilege of entering into his very presence, into the very throne room of heaven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that tore the veil in the temple, separating the holy of holies from the outer sanctuary. And that is taught to us in the book of Hebrews as Jesus making it possible for you and me to be in the very presence of God, to seek his face. And he tells us to come to him with boldness, with boldness boldness. David said, God, you've given me the invitation and I accept. I'm going to seek your face. And I think everyone who follows Jesus and loves him has a similar hunger, similar desire. We want to be in the presence of God. And so we show up on the Lord's day, but we seek his face intentionally in our lives. To seek something means to want something so much that you look for it. Let me illustrate it this way. In December, my brother and I like to spend a few days on the lake fishing for smallmouth bass. And a typical day out on the lake, we'll have our bait and we'll cast and fish this spot where we sometimes catch bass. And we may have luck, we may not. And if we don't get many bites, we'll move to another place. And then we'll move to another place. And and we'll keep doing that until we find the place where the fish are biting. That's seeking fish. He's saying in a similar way, you and I seek the face of God, that we have a responsibility to be intentional about entering the presence of God. Of God. David was not satisfied. You and I should not be satisfied simply with religion, just with showing up. We should, on the Lord's day in His house, want to encounter Him. And if that is our heart cry, then it impacts our attitude when we get out of bed on Sunday morning as we drive to the church, what we do in the lobby, what we do in the worship center. It means that we are meditating, we are engaged, we are involved, and we are seeking to encounter God. We open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. We listen for his voice. We sing to him. We pray to him. We simply do not sit and listen. We are engaged. We are involved. We are seeking his face because we want want God's presence in our life. We cherish it. It's the picture of a relationship of intimacy, of closeness. I I picture a, a mom or a dad when they, they have a, a new baby and, and, and they hold that baby in their arms and they just stare at its face. They just stare at its face, noticing every little uh, detail. That's the picture I have of us seeking God. God, I have this hunger to stare into your face, to know you and to be with you. There are times in the middle of the night when I will wake up And my wife, Monisa, is still asleep, and occasionally I'll just glance over at her, and I'll lay there for a moment or so just staring at my beautiful wife, and suddenly a smile will break out on my face because that's what love does. When you love the Lord, when you love Jesus, you seek his face, you want to be in his presence, and you make the effort. You don't leave it to luck. You don't leave it to chance. You don't leave it to happenstance. 
You don't leave it to how good the sermon might be, how good the music might be. Is everything done the way you want or not? You enter the house of God with the people of God. You show up and you show up seeking the face of Almighty God. And by the way, you also seek his face when you open his word on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day of the week. You seek his face. And here's the thing. Look at verses 9 and 10. He said, he said, David speaking to God, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God, my salvation. David is saying the worst thing, God, that could happen in my life is for me to lose your presence, to not sense, feel, hear your presence. I don't want that. In fact, in another psalm, he said not being able to sense the presence of God is like a living death. I've often said the most miserable person in the world is a backslidden Christian because you're living outside the presence of God. It's a horrible way to live. He said in verse 10, for my father and mother have forsaken me. But the Lord, the Lord, listen, the Lord will take me up. There are some of you who've been abandoned by a spouse. You've been abandoned by a parent. You've been abandoned by a child. You've been abandoned by a best friend. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God will always be there. And when you seek him, when you look for him, he tells us in his holy word that you will Find him because he's already looking for you. He's not the one that's moved. He's not going anywhere. He's here and he's present and he's asking for you to lift up your eyes and see him, to open your ears and hear him, to open your heart and feel him. Seek the Lord. That's what every true follower of Jesus Christ really wants. Now, real quickly, real quickly, something else that we won't, and I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I just want to remind us of it. He teaches us in Psalm 27 that in addition to living every day in the presence of God and finding that by showing up for worship and seeking his face, one more thing we want. As disciples, we want to follow God's direction. Listen, we want to follow God's direction for living. Look at verse 11 in Psalm 27. He said, teach me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your way and lead me in a level path. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level or a straight or an upright path. To teach, that Hebrew word is the picture of, of throwing something. Say a rock and you throw it in a certain direction or you shoot an arrow in a certain direction. For God to teach us means that he teaches us how to live in a certain direction. When he said in verse 11, teach me your way, God, throw me that way. Shoot me that way. God, teach me to walk in your way. Not just any way. Not just my way. Not the culture's way. But God, aim my life. Teach me to go your way. To follow your path, your direction, Lord. Lead me like a guide leading someone on a hike. God, aim me that direction and then guide me, walk me, lead me in your path, on the level path, God. It means it's level and it's morally upright because that's the best way to live, oh God. You see, there are always people trying to trip us up. Verse 12, 
Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. There are always people who are going to try to hold you back, hinder you spiritually, mess up your life, get you in trouble. We're always going to have people who try to do that. And and you're more likely to fall prey to them when you don't allow God to aim your life and lead your life in his way. You make yourself vulnerable. God is able to protect you when you stay on his path, letting him lead you. And sometimes, sometimes the people who try to trip you up are, are wolves, you know, in sheep's clothing, so to speak. There's a there's a there's a woman. I follow on Twitter. She's a survivor of clergy sexual abuse. And I follow both her and her husband. And and some time ago, she was actually pursued by one of the associate pastors in the church where she was a member. When I I say pursued, that's just what I mean. He was counseling her because of some issues with their children. He is providing pastoral care to her, and he used all of that to 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 chase her, if you will, and 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 to manipulate her and take advantage of her. And it was more than an affair. Calling it an affair would not be would not do it justice justice because it was an he he abused his position, he abused his privilege. He abused his calling. He he abused his position of power. He abused all of that. And and that kind of abuse does more damage than just having an affair. She recently said something on Twitter, and I want to share it with you. This is a quote. She said, he tattooed his forearms with scripture, but he never let God's word penetrate his heart. An outer shell gave the appearance of a pastor, but held an inner core full of lust. One that would eventually crush me, his sin stole my faith. And FYI, and you may have heard about it before I finished preaching this sermon, I, I, I don't know, but... There's going to be a a report released in the Southern Baptist Convention because last year we authorized the establishment of a task force that would hire an independent firm to study how we have handled clergy sexual abuse in the past and to make recommendations for how to do it right in the future. That's our national task force, and that's going to be released in June at our annual session of the Southern Baptist Convention in Anaheim. And here in South Carolina, I am a member of our task force on clergy sexual abuse that will take what is hap- what happens in the report that's given to the convention in June in Anaheim and bring recommendations to our state convention this November. You see, someone can be religious. So- someone can be active in church. Someone can be a, a preacher. They can-, they can be a lay ministry leader. It does not mean, because of all that necessarily, that their life is shaped by and led by God, his word, and his truth. And people who love Jesus, 
Stay so connected to Jesus and so in tune with his word, allowing his Holy Spirit to work in us that our heart cry is not only for the presence of God, but God, shape me. Shape my life. Shape my decisions and values, my thought processes according to your presence and your holy word. We want to do more than just go to church and be religious. And the result of all that, we'll finish well and we won't quit. As he said in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. We don't give up. We don't quit. I love it on Sundays when I see elderly saints of God walk through the doors of our church, some of them bent over and moving slowly, but they show up. They show up. I love it when single moms and single dads all by themselves get those kids ready and they make it to church. I'm inspired when I see men and women who are fighting cancer. And I know they don't feel good, but they're in God's house. When I see people of all ages getting up early on Saturday Saturday morning to be in a D group or 6 or 6.30, they're in a D group meeting on Monday morning or Thursday morning. Think about Roberta who is 77 years old and still works in, in her nursery on Sundays. Her mom did that up until shortly before her death. I think about Jimmy when we had our policeman's memorial luncheon recently serving drinks to the officers, 84 years old. I think about Tommy, whom I see almost every Sunday, 81 years old, at the door of the church handing out bulletins to people. And these people did not begin serving once they retired. They served while they were working. It's simply that when they retired from their career, they did not stop. Our connection to Jesus And our desire to have our lives fashioned and shaped by him and his word means as long as we are physically able, we don't quit, we don't give up, we don't stop, we keep moving forward for the glory of God, building the kingdom of God and living a life that brings honor to Jesus Christ because it's always about him. It's always about him. It's always about him. Let me ask you. What do you want? What do you want in your relationship with God? Does it resemble David? Does it resemble what we're talking about today? Because if it doesn't, it says something about the quality of your current walk with Jesus. Take a moment and pray and settle some things with God right now. You may need to repent and confess. You may need to make a commitment. You may need to change some things. Stop doing some things. Begin doing some other things. What do you want? And what are you going to do about it? God bless you. And I'll see you next Sunday.